is given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. As Greg began reading the word, the first word he starts with is but. It's an interesting word in our in our language because you really have to know the context to understand it, right? Because at one moment you could be referring to a part of an anatomy, but that's not what but that's not what Paul is referring to here, is it? I mean, we've got to look at the context, right? We've got to understand the context. And in this context, we hear that word and we recognize immediately that it's joining two phrases together, two ideas together. It's a it's a it's a it's a conjunction that ties contrasting thought together. So maybe you've heard it used like this. I don't want to interrupt, but I'm going to anyway. You know, excuse me, but I'm going to interrupt you. I, I, I really appreciate what you've done for me, but I really want to focus on myself now. You know, I love you, but I don't like you. I hope nobody's ever said that to you. But that word, that word gives us this contrasting idea, gives us this, this thought. So as we enter into this passage, as we've been working through Ephesians, as we enter into this passage, our, our minds should automatically be keying to the idea that this passage, this idea, these, these phrases, these verses do not stand by themselves, but we have to have some understanding of what came before them to understand where Paul's going with them. So we're not going to go into detail. We're not going to go into depth. That was really last week's sermon. And if you missed it, go find us on iTunes. Go look on the website. Find the sermon. Listen to it. But today, as you sit here, you need to have some recognition that last week was a call to live the worthy life. All right. I'm sorry. Let me say it a little differently. To call, it was a call by Paul to live in a manner that is worthy. The call is never to be worthy. You and I are not worthy of God's gift to us. It is grace, okay? It's an unmerited good act, benevolent act on His behalf, uh, uh, of His on our behalf. He is doing this work for us. He saved us, okay? We cannot be worthy. But now, as Christians, the call is to act like we're worthy, to live in a manner that is worthy. And so, when Paul began to unfold that and begin to help us understand what that looks like and where that comes from, he didn't give us a list of accomplishments to achieve. He, he led us directly to character. And he, he said that you need to be humble, that you need to be meek and gentle, that you need to be long-suffering with one another, patient with one another, not waiting on one another, but patient with one another, being willing to bear with one another in love. And so there's the idea is that this character welling up within us is, is the, is the fruit of God's work through Jesus, but then is supposed to be the character that we exercise. It's supposed to now be the, be the perspective that people have of us. So when people look at you, they should see you exercising this character. They should see you exercising and taking advantage of the work that Jesus is doing. And so you should be described as humble. As meek and gentle, you should be described as someone who is patient with other people. That's, that's godly characters worked out in you that you take hold of and that you begin to 
enact and portray so that you take hold of it and you begin to use it. We're, we're to live like that. But he didn't just talk about our character. He talked about unity. He talked about the fact that we're called to be eager to maintain a bond of peace, the unity of the Spirit, that we're to have a desire and to diligently work towards this. So together, as God's people, we should be striving to remain God's people together. There's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. There's no such thing as a, a Christian that can exist by him or herself. If if you're here today and you're and, and you're not part of a church and you've never uh, and, and you just think you can get by without church, that's not God's design for you. It's not his plan for you. The church, whether you recognize it today, the church is radically and vastly important to his work in you. You're going to actually see how that plays out here in just a little bit. So here's the idea is he's already called us to this place where we're to 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 reflect Christ together. So together we are to look very similar. In fact, I'm not the only one called to be humble. You're called to be humble. Every one of us are called to be humble, to act humbly, to act graciously, to act uh, meekly, to have, to bear with one another in love. These are traits that should mark every believer. We should all look the same in that, right? Our personalities uh, set aside that there should be character traits that we all share. We all have a unique purpose and a unique uniting factor. That's one faith, one Lord, one, one, one spirit, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Under Him, under God, we are one people. See, what God is doing is He is, he is making a new race of new people. He is establishing a whole new humanity. It's not that, it's not that we don't look at and love the, the humanity that was there before. It doesn't, doesn't mean that we're better than anybody else. The reality is He has chosen you to be a part of His kingdom, His people, His family. And He is saying now, you're united in that. What, what, what our government tried to do with our Constitution, what our forefathers tried to do with our Constitution based on, not on gender, race, or, you know, the, the reality is that everyone's created equal. What, what our government has tried to legislate, God is doing through the Gospel. He's made you all one people. So you're going to look alike. You're going to act alike. Well, maybe not look alike, but you're going to act alike. We look a lot different. And we're going to have a united purpose and a united uh, uh, nationality in a sense. So that's all under God, right? And, and that's what's happening. But, and here's where the but that Paul gives us comes in. But, just because we are unified doesn't mean that we're not unique. You just take a look across the room and if you're, if you're a member here, if you come here regularly, you already know some of these people and their stories. Whether you know them or not, the reality is, I, I promise you, whether you're visiting, whether this is your first time, we don't know anything about you, I promise you, the, the stories in this room are probably radically different than yours. The perspectives, the experiences, the, the social class, you know, some, some of you are business people and some of you are blue collar people. Some of you, some of you are, um, uh, uh, pessimistic and some of you are optimistic this is the reality of of who we are and i'm sorry for you pessimists it's, you know just i know i get it but that's who you are that's what it's, it's what it's about you know you recognize I'm, I'm i'm not pessimistic i'm realist you know i'm just a realist okay well if that's it that, that's what you wanted to say that's fine but the reality is there's differences we're diverse we're unique but what paul is getting at here is that the thing that makes us diverse is the very thing that makes us unified. The thing that makes us unique is the very thing that first unifies us, and that is the grace of God in Jesus 
Christ. You see, there's something very special and very specific about you. And as He calls us to unity and to pursue unity and to live out of this God-given, God-reflecting character, He doesn't want us to just walk around like cookie cutters. He's not calling me to look like Billy Graham or Mark Driscoll or, or Matt Chandler or, or, or John MacArthur or any other famous preacher that you've ever known. He doesn't expect me to part my hair on the side. I couldn't do it, but I wanted to. He doesn't want me to part my hair on the side. He doesn't expect me to show up in a suit and a tie. He doesn't expect me to have the same... Ex- exact experiences. He doesn't have, he doesn't desire for me to come to you with the same exact strengths and weaknesses of these other people. He doesn't want me to mirror them. He wants me to stand in a place where God's unique and powerful grace is evident in me for you. And you know what else he wants? He wants that for you, for us. You see where he's going? You see, He's called us to unity. He's called us to to commonality. But there's a very unique gift of grace that you have received. A very special and unique gift of grace that you have received. Let me get back to my notes. I got a little excited. I need to stay on point or we'll not get through today. Through through Jesus' gift of grace, each Christian is made unique and given a unique mission among God's unified people. Through Jesus' gift of grace, each Christian is made unique and given a unique mission among God's unified people. He starts out, you know, talking about the in in the beginning of chapter four about this unity and this this commonality. And he says, but Jesus gave you grace. He gave you gifts of grace. And then he further expounds in that saying that we're to use it to minister to the people. Think back again to Ephesians chapter 2. Paul gives us a glimpse of this even before he begins to, to spell it out for us. If you, if you think back, I've got the verses on the screen. And if you think and listen to this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Paul is, Paul is outlining the individual Christian. This is your experience. This is an experience we all share, whether we like to admit it or not. For, for by grace you have been saved. Through faith, this not your own doing is the gift of God. We didn't have any part really of our salvation. All we could do is respond in faith. Jesus shows up, shows us the truth, gives us a new nature, levels the playing field. There's the, the worst evil person that we can think of in our minds. The greatest evil person in this, in this creation that we can think of in our minds is just as worthy of salvation as I am. Just as worthy of salvation as the holiest person you can think of the best person you can think of. There's no distinction for by grace. We all stand in a place where the, where the field is level. There's no distinction. There's no difference. I don't deserve to be in this place. You don't deserve to be in this place. God said, I am giving you my unmerited goodness, saving you, and now I'm just saying, all you got to do is trust me. Trust that I did this work for you. This not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. If you're not a believer here today, if you're a, if you're here and you're not a faithful, following believer in Jesus Christ, I would encourage you not to try to measure up, not to be the person that you think I want you to be, or that you think the church might want you to be. I would encourage you to look at Jesus. Look at the cross. He died in your place for your sins so that now 
as a believer, as someone who trusts in His work, you can stand in front of the Father and receive His good will toward you. We are His workmanship. And the word there is poema, and it's really artwork. You're His, you're His, you're His poem. He is he has, he has put you together in this beautiful and special way that is not just, it's not just got this architectural sense. It's not just got this pragmatic sense. There's a beauty to it. You're His poem. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you're a believer here today, if you've trusted in Christ, You've probably heard Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, especially if you've grown up in a tradition like mine. We, we heard Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 all the time. You've been saved by grace, or saved by grace through faith, that's not of yourselves, so no, no works, so nobody can boast. Just remember that, remember that, remember that, remember that. It wasn't until I was almost 30 years old that I sat down and read Ephesians and I saw verse 10. I thought I could just sit and, and just and just marinate in the grace, you know? Just be washed over in the grace. And it was an amazing thing to think about God's great goodness for me. I was almost 30 years old when I first read this verse and I, I, I heard these words that, that I am His workmanship. He took hold of me and modeled me and pressed on me and refined me. And made me into a piece of art. Because He had a great purpose for me. A mission for me. A ministry for me. A, a thing for me to do. A work for me now to do. You see, Christians, you, you're, you're not meant to be a consumer or a marinator in God's grace. You are, a, you, you are called to be a saint serving and being served by others for your good for their good and for God's glory. That's what the whole intent of this passage is about getting to. It's, it's trying to push us to a place where we recognize that we are not meant to come into this place like we go into Walmart or that we go into the mall or some, some other place. We're not meant to come into this place simply to receive and to walk out and never, never look back and just think, man, I got some good stuff out of that. We're not to, we're not to look at our Father as if all He is is just the Santa Claus in the sky. You know, we're not, we're not meant to approach Him. Just give me what I want. But just give me what I want. This really, that's really, that's all I want. Just give me what I want. That's not our call. That's not His intention. And in fact, when we connect this part of the passage, this contrasting perspective, back to the first part of Ephesians 4, that's not only not what He wants for us, that is not living in a manner worthy of the call. You see, if we're going to see Ephesians 4.1 living worthy in a, in a manner worthy of the call, if we're going to see that being played out and spelled out in our life, we're going to have to come to a place where we recognize that His grace is for us, but also meant to flow through us. You see, here's the reality. You. I'm talking about each and every one of you. If I can, if, Every one of you. Everyone. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a vital role to play in His kingdom, among His people, and in the world at large. A lot of people say, a lot of people look at ministers, at a, a preacher, and they'll think, oh, you're more vital, you're more important than me. I'm more important in seeing this event happen. 
you know, I come here and I preach, and if I didn't show up, you'd sing and you'd probably enjoy that, but something would be missing. You know, I mean, that's our culture, that's our tradition, you think. So I'm pretty vital in seeing this happen, but you know what, in a, in a few weeks, I'm going to be gone. I'm not the only one that can do this. I'm pretty replaceable. Trust me, there are people that are better at this than I am. It just happens to be the gift that God's given me and the call that He's given me. My role, some, you think of the, the, the most famous preacher, the farthest reaching pastor that you can think of, his role is no more vital than yours. You are a vital part of the body of God, of, of, of Christ's body, of His family. And He has a particular mission for you. And the way you begin to recognize it, the way you begin to learn it, is to begin to understand how His grace has worked in you so that you can begin to see how His grace is now empowering you and enabling you to reach the people around you. See, I don't know when it happened. I, I'm not, I've not been alive long enough. I've been alive a lot longer than many of, many of you, but I've not been alive long enough to understand in church history where this really began. And I've tried to study. I've tried to look for it. I don't know where it happened. But at some point along the way in church history, ministry was removed from the people and brought to the ministers. Right? Well, the vocational people, the people that just work at doing this, the people that do it all the time. And, and what, that, what, what that did, and I think it was probably unintentional, I don't think it was. I don't think it's something they planned. Hey, let's let's divide uh, the laity and the clergy, and let's let's get these two classes of people, and we'll be the holy ones, and they'll be the less, little less than us. I don't know that they planned on that. I also don't know that they planned on making the members of the church less dependent upon Christ and more dependent upon them. I don't think they ever planned that. I don't think that was intentional. I don't. I, I just. In my mind, I just cannot imagine wanting to stand in a place where you depended on me more than you depended on Jesus. I, it, it, would, it would shock me if I found out that, that, that they had planned to do that. You see, I have a role. You have a role. But it, th th this has become so normal, so natural for us that, that as life moved on, we move into contemporary church culture, even in the 50s and 60s, you know, back when things were good, the golden age, you know, that kind of thing, when the church was blossoming around the country and it wasn't yet in decline and, and things like that. The reality is, is that even then, there, there was this distinction. And the church members had become so dependent upon the church leaders that they were no longer looking to Christ and His grace in their lives that they no longer had anything to exercise. They did, but they didn't understand how to do it. They didn't understand how to give it. And so they'd show up every day and they'd just consume and consume and consume and consume and consume. And, and you know what? Here, here we are in the, in, the, in the year 2014 and finally some people are starting to get it. Because they're looking at little rules and, and, and statistics that we've set up and have measured church life over, over the last several years. Like the 80-20 rule. Have you ever heard of the 80-20 rule? 80 per, or, I'm sorry, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Let me say it again. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Or 80% or 20% of the people give 80% of the money. There's this statistic that just seems to, to um, you know, in general terms, work across all local congregations. And they've figured this out. This is statistics. Of, and, and here's the thing is that many people were comfortable with that. 
Many church leaders were comfortable with that. But do you see how distinctly in error that perspective is to just be comfortable with it? If we could just get to 20% of people serving, man, we'll have it made. We'll be like every other church. What a failure that would be. Right? I mean, is that, is it, I just want to be mediocre. Is that what Jesus is calling us to? I just want to be average. I want to share my heart for the church. Our church. I want this for the church at large, but I don't have authority to do this in the church at large. All we can do is work at this. My heart for our church is that we're not known first and foremost by the glitz and glamour of what goes on. Obviously, if you're visiting here today, you recognize we're lacking on glitz and glamour. It's okay. My heart for this church is that we're not average in the 20-80 rule, 80-20 rule. My heart for the church is that we shine so brightly for Jesus that we blow that away, that the grace that He has placed in you is working it out itself out so clearly among us and around us as a people that nobody can interact with us without seeing His hand on us. That's what I hope. If, especially if you're visiting today, that's what I hope you walk away with. That you'll recognize that Jesus is at work among us. That His grace is evident in us. And that you got to experience His grace because you came near to us. For those of you that are members, this is really the intention what we've always been about. To be a people who live worship and who lead others to live worship. That's, that's the whole intention of this. That's the whole purpose of this. Not to show up and and certainly show up, get what you need, but don't just be a consumer. Show up and give what you got. Because the reality is you have something that we desperately need. And you know how I know so we desperately need it? Because Jesus gave it to you to share. This is His call on us. This is, this is where the, the, the worthy life begins. It starts in our character. It measures itself up. And it, it begins to bubble up in our character as, as He converts us and changes us. He, he changes who we are from the inside out. But it never stops at what happens inside of us. If we stop at what's happening inside of us, then we're not really giving our best to it. We're not really, we're, we're not really living the life worthy. If we're going to be humble, somebody should be able to see it. If we're going to be meek, somebody should be able to experience it. If we're going to bear with one another in love, somebody else ought to recognize it. The reality is if it doesn't move from the inside out, then we're not living the life worthy. And I'm calling you as the church, as your pastor, to live in a manner worthy of the calling. Now, how are we going to do that? How are we going to get there? Well, what, what's going to happen? How are, we going to, how are we going to work this out? I'm going to give you the same point I've been giving you over and over in just a little different way. I'm going to lead you. Your elders are going to lead, lead you Christians that to not to be grace bearers, but be grace sharers for Jesus' fame. And we're going to do that by following Jesus' his, his expectation for the church or His gifting or His plan for the church. And it's spelled out. If you look again back at, at verse 11 and 12, it, it's spelled out for us. 
We don't have to, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We don't have to come up with all kinds of new and, and, and creative ways to, to, to work in the church. All we have to do is look at scripture and understand it and begin to live in it and apply it. I want you to think about where this church has been. For, for the longest time, I was, I was this, the, the lone elder in the church and I had an oversight elder board to maintain the, the multiplicity of elders. But the reality was, I was working towards this and there was a time where I had to be involved in everything. And so, so many of the things that happened, I was there and I was just, I, I wanted to do the ministry for you because I loved you. But that's not a healthy church. Were we growing? Were things happening? Yeah, but we weren't really, we weren't really grown up yet. We weren't really beginning to see maturity yet. We weren't really beginning to see what God had for us yet. So for, for really the last two years, I began, I began working and, and particularly paying attention to, to certain people and watching them and, and looking for God's grace in them. And I began to watch and I saw as God had gifted certain people to do certain things. It wasn't that they were better at, uh, they were, they were better people. It's just that God had, had obviously demonstrated His grace in them to call them to a place to lead. And so we, last year we established our elder board. And now we have these leaders. And these leaders, in verses 11 and 12, you, you'll, you'll be, be able to see how these leaders now work together with the body, not as a separate class, but as a unified people to see the ministry of God accomplished. Let me read it to you again. It's been a little bit since we read it at the beginning. Let me just read it to you again. Verse 11 and 12. It says, And He gave, that's Jesus, okay? Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Jesus did this work. He established a, a, a people who would focus so intently upon the church at large that they would be equipped and made ready to do the ministry. Right there, if you've ever thought the ministry belonged to a minister or some class of people, right there, that verse should undermine that thought. Repent of that thought. I am not the minister. We are ministers. Now, I have a certain role inside of that ministry, though. There's a, there's a five-fold office, and I'm just going to be honest. I, I want you to know up front, there's a lot of discussion about this verse in verse 11, about the five-fold offices, or if it's a four-fold office, or whether shepherd and teacher should be connected, or even if apostle and prophet exist today, how this all works out. And it was about two years ago that I began to study this, and I was challenged by it. And, and what I have come to, what I... What I feel like is is the best way to read this every every way that you can make an argument for, and you can make an argument again against. But but the way I feel like is best to come to this and understand it is that these are gifts of grace. That's what the context tells us. These are not offices. These are not these are not offices where people hold them, but they are gifts God, Jesus has given us of grace and to enable us to live and work in the world to equip His people. And so when I talk about that there's an apostolic gifting, I'm not saying that we still have apostles in the church today. There's some denominations that will tell you that they have apostles, like in the line of Peter and John and Paul. Well, I, I would totally disagree with that. I think that that's, this flies in the face of Scripture. But I do think there's an apostolic gifting. These are the bridge builders. They're pushing the kingdom forward. They have a larger than, larger than local church um, uh, reach and they have a, a, an ability and a gifting that pushes them to a place where, uh, where their influence uh, goes beyond the normal boundaries of the, um, of the local church. And I think some of the people that, that you could look to for that to give you an example would be like John Piper. 
You listen to John Piper? Are you influenced by John Piper? Is he pushing? Is his ministries and his and God using him to push the boundaries of the kingdom? Absolutely. Mark Driscoll, whether you like him or not or agree with everything or not, man, that guy is building bridges for the kingdom. And he's making a difference and he has influenced a number of people in this room. Tim Keller. Maybe you don't listen to Tim Keller. He's a Presbyterian. I know that we're not Presbyterian, but it's okay. The guy is wise. He is he is challenging. And he's, he's like one of those guys, he's very calm when he speaks, but it feels like when you've got done listening to him, you feel like you've been punched in the stomach in a good way. It's like, would you do that to me again? I'll listen to you. Just do it one more time, you know. I don't I don't get it, but I'm telling you, these people have an influence that, that crosses the boundary of the local church that the that the church, regardless of denomination, regardless of many of their perspectives, they're hearing these these men that God has given great influence to. And the kingdom is moving because of it. The kingdom is advancing because of it. And so I think that's an apostolic gifting. And I believe that's what Jesus, or what Paul is intending here as he writes this. There's a prophetic gifting. Now, there's a difficulty here. This is probably, in, in my way of interpreting this, this is really one of the most difficult places because... In the Old Testament, prophet, man, if he said something wrong, you killed him. He's a false prophet. Get rid of him, right? Boy, if, if somebody steps up and says, I've got a prophetic gifting, it's pretty bold. Well, we're going to cut your head off if you don't say if something, if you're wrong. But the reality is, is that's, what, what was the, what was the distinction of prophet in the New Testament? As, as Paul, or as, I'm sorry, as John talked about false prophets of those that left us, what was his distinction? What was his measure for a true or false prophet. What they said about Jesus. You see, what I really think that gets us to is, is where we align into one faith, one Lord, one baptism. One, when we get to the essentials, we're right. We're, we're in agreement. There's a lot of things, a lot of things that we don't understand. One of the people that I think has a very prophetic gifting, John MacArthur. I think he's got a prophetic gifting. The guy... He is he is one of the best expositors that I know of in our in, in contemporary generations. If you don't listen to him, I would encourage you to go listen to him. I will tell you, I don't agree with all of his secondary issues. He is a cessationist in the he doesn't agree with me on this point right here. In fact, he would say that these first two offices, you know, that's the reality of it. But there's a there's a distinction in the essentials and in his way of approaching the scripture that you, you cannot go wrong in studying from him. I don't think. David Platt, he's another one. Maybe a little less controversial for some of you. David Platt, that guy is prophetic. And he is a gentle prophet. Sometimes people think that prophets, when they, this prophetic voice comes out, that it's truth. And it's going to be hard to hear. Sometimes that's true. But man, he's got this mix of pastoral and prophetic voice that hit me again. I really I, I appreciated that. You hit me and then you came and hugged me. And I'm kind of confused, but I like it. It feels good. So he's got this gifting that he's able to, to, to just proclaim and, and, and expound on God's truth. He's not standing giving us something new. He's not standing giving us, giving us views into the future. That's, that's not the prophetic gift, I think, that's being uh, proclaimed here. Jared Wilson's another one. He's a, he's a little newer to the game, I think, uh, than, than these other two. But he's a, he's got a very prophetic voice. He's got a very uh, uh, a high view of scripture. All of these men do, but he's got this voice that just, that just resonates 
true. They'd all be good voices, good people for you to listen to and gain influence. Now, here's the thing is, I don't think that these two roles have to have as large of ministries as these people do. I think you can have an apostolic gifting and not be so big. But it, but, but I think the reality is, if you're going to say that you've got an apostolic gifting, you should see your influence going beyond the local church. If you're going to say you have a prophetic gifting, it doesn't have to have some major uh, following attached to it, but you should be able to see God using it uh, for the, the breadth of His kingdom. And then there's these next three gifts, the evangelists. Some of, some of us are gifted with an ability to take the truth of God and bring it to people who don't know Him. In many ways, this is a this is a gifting I have. I don't think it's my primary gifting, but it's a gifting I have. It's a desire I have. It's a recognition, a responsibility we have as a people. The reason we go to Africa is because I fell in love with the people. And, and in this place in Senegal where there's no one proclaiming the gospel, I knew it had to be proclaimed and we had to go there. I had a drive to go there, an inward drive. And it wasn't me. I, honestly, it's easier not to go. It's a whole lot cheaper not to go. And it, it's difficult to get there. There's You spend hours and hours and hours and hours in travel for just a short time to share just a few stories thinking, well, I didn't do much. I guess I hope God can do something with that. That's the evangelist. That's the, the person who travels and makes sure that God's Word is being heard broadly. Missionaries, I think many of our missionaries have evangelistic giftings. They want to go places. They want to share the Gospel with people who aren't hearing it. The reality is we all have a responsibility to this. But some of us are gifted for it. We have a, a spiritual gift that will make a spiritual uh, difference in someone's life. The, the, the shepherd pastor, I recognize these two. Shepherd and teacher is distinct. People like John MacArthur would say shepherd and teacher go together. But, but the reason I think that they're distinct is because just a shepherd, a pastor, an elder, an overseer in a local church, which I think is what this gifting really speaks towards, is required to be able to teach. So I think they have to go together. But just because you're a teacher and being gifted by God to teach doesn't mean you're meant to be a shepherd or pastor in His church. And so I think there should be a distinction. You look at the, the, the debate is all about the way that the Greek and the, the grammar goes together. And so there's, there's discussion all around this. I'm just telling you my perspective. But a shepherd, a pastor, someone who, who leads, someone tending to others, it, it's like just a, like a shepherd who leads sheep, you know? I mean, you're, you're, you're looking in on their needs. You're looking at where they need to go and you're, you're thinking about the food they're going to eat and the water they're going to drink and, and you're just making sure that they have what they need and that they can, that they can be the sheep they're called to be. That's what that's what the overseer's doing. Obviously, most of us don't want to be called sheep, and so we don't use shepherd as our titles. You know, like you don't call me Shepherd Seth. You can, but you don't want to be called a sheep because sheep are not really that bright of an animal, right? I mean, it's just the reality of it. We, but but the reality is, there's there's someone God has gifted to be able to minister in this way, and there's someone God has gifted to take the word, His word, and teach it to His people. But it doesn't have to be just me. The reality is, if you're a parent, God is enabling you. He's going to give you an ability to teach truth to your children. You know why He's going to do that? Because He commanded you to do that. He told you to do it. So He's going to enable you to do it. There's a, there's a reality to that. Every parent in the room has a, has, a, has a measure of gifting to be able to teach their family. Every father in the room, every husband in the room has been given a gifting by the Spirit. Every, every Christian father, every Christian husband has been given a gifting to be able to teach in his home. 
I know that because God commanded that. He said, go do it. He's not going to leave you alone. He's telling, he's showing us over and over and over and over. I want you to work out of the grace that I've given you. I don't want you to go with your own ideas, your own power, your own strength. I want you to go to people with the grace I gave you. That's his call for us. But specifically in the church, he's given these people, these leaders, to equip the members, all the rest of the church, for his ministry. And I just want to deal with that. I want you to understand what it means to equip. Really what it means is, in, in translating it, you could, in fact, I like the King James Version of this better. It says it's perfecting the saints. In some way, the leaders of the church have a role in sanctification and the growing up and the maturing of the saints and making you ready for ministry. So as a brand new believer, you walk in, you probably aren't ready for ministry. As a brand new member in the church, you're probably not ready to minister. But but as you come in, the leaders come around you. They begin to get to know you. They begin to look for God's grace in you. They begin to, to teach you. They begin to shape you and equip you and train you. And pretty quickly, as you begin to mature, you have an important role to play. A vital role. So vital that if you're not doing what you've been called to do, the church is suffering because of it. Your, your role is of, of great importance. I mean, it's just like a, a digestive tract in a person's body. I mean, you start thinking about it. If all of a sudden my tongue quits tasting and I quit enjoying food and I don't want anything to do with it, it's just really nasty to me, then I'm going to quit eating. And when I quit eating, my, my, my esophagus can't pass the food. It can't get to the stomach. It can't get to the place where all of a sudden the nutrients are passed out. My blood can't bring the energy. It, it just begins to fall apart. It's important. I have an illustration I use a lot. My my big toe, I've got I've got tendonitis in my big toe. It hasn't affected me in a long time. And I, my wife used to tell me that when she just laughed at me for it. But but the reality is I've got this toe that sometimes will act up. And when it's acting up, I cannot walk on my foot right. And so because I'm stubborn and won't go see a doctor, I just always walk on the side of my foot. But you know what happens when I begin to walk on the side of my foot? The side of my foot hurts. And then pretty soon... My shin and my, and I don't know what the muscle is on the front of your shin, that begins to hurt because it's not used to walking that way. And then pretty quickly, I've got this ache up in my hip. And as I've gotten older, it just goes further. Like, I don't know what to do with this. She always tells me to go, go to the doctor. But, but the reality is I, we, we want to equip you. We want to train you. We want to prepare you. We want to help perfect you. We want to be a tool in God's hand to make you his poem. So that you can be the person He's called you to be for His people, for their good, for your good, and His glory. Then He says that, that, that we're to be equipped not just for any old reason, but for ministry. Oh man, ministry, that's, that's, that sounds so good. You know, that means, that, oh, I, can, I got this great job in the church to do. But really, the, the, the word simply just means service. Certainly, it's in His kingdom, certainly, it's among His people. And I don't think the service ends there because I think the context shows us that this is for the edification of the saints. You see, what I think this is really talking about, what I think this is really referring to is that you and I have been given by His grace as a result of His grace at work in us. We have been given a grace to bear, to carry around with us, and to share with people. Some of those people aren't saints yet, but will become saints because you are gracious with them. 
some of those people are Christian and they desperately need your grace that's been given to you by God because they're hurting and they're suffering and they're they're just wondering how to put this all together and they need someone with the with the specific grace you have been given to just involve yourself in their life. And you might be shocked that as you get to know that person, you might be surprised that you need the grace they've been given. See how this begins to work? God's established a leadership. And He's gifted them to help train and equip and prepare you. So that you, as we minister, as your leaders minister to you, that you can begin to do the ministry. And the breadth of the kingdom expands. And the depth of the kingdom and the foundation on which we stand is solidified. And the strength of the studs in our walls and the, and the sheetrock and the, and the beauty and the majesty of our Creator begin to be seen among His people. See, Christian, you were never meant to be a grace bearer alone. You were meant to be a grace bearer and a grace sharer for Jesus' fame. So here's the thing. Here's just practically, let me just share with you how that's going to work out and, and I'll close it up. When you come to us with an idea about ministry, you know who we're going to encourage to do it? You. We're going to facilitate you. We're going to strive to find funds in the budget for you. We're going to strive to, to help you. We're going to get you resources and plugged in with people as much as we can with people who know what they're doing and have so that you don't have to recreate the will. We're going to try to facilitate that. But you know who we're going to ask to do the ministry? The people who suddenly care most about the ministry. I think it's biblical. You, you, uh, we're going to encourage each and every one of you to take responsibility. In the, in the, in the time as we continue to grow as a church, and I'm not talking about growth in numbers, I'm talking about growth in, in, in God's grace as we continue to grow up spiritually together. We're going to encourage you to take ownership and responsibility in this with us. If you're a member, if you're a member of this church, we expect you to, to get busy doing something. And again, hear me. I'm not saying just go do anything. I'm saying begin to look and learn what God has graced you with and begin to use that grace to bless others. We're going to help you try to figure that out. We're going to strive to walk with you to understand your spiritual gifts, your, your great and, and eternally significant gifting that God's given you. We want to help you figure that out. It's going to require us to walk together in that. I've made some notes here and they're so small I can't read them. We're going to expect you to meet one another at your point of need. Look, I'm going to show up at the hospital. If I find out one of you guys go to the hospital, I'm going to show up and I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to do what I can to love on you and encourage you. But if I'm the only one that shows up, this church has failed. If, if if the elder board are the only ones that show up, this church has failed. Whose responsibility is it? Ours. You find out somebody in one of your community groups or somebody in, that you just hang out with from time to time or somebody that's in this church, I don't care how, how well you know them. Imagine what it would be if you were laying in a hospital bed sick and nobody came and showed up and saw you. Imagine what it would be if you suffered some great loss and nobody came and laid a hand on your shoulder and prayed with you. You know, I'm supposed to do it. So if I don't do it, there's, there's bitterness and there's hurt. But imagine 
the proclamation of the gospel, when the people that you belong with to his body come around you and support you that way, imagine the grace you'll experience in that moment. When people that aren't required to do it, do it, it's a much louder proclamation of grace than when I do. We're going to strive to see this model played out. Just let me say this in closing. This is the call to live worthy. Until we get together and begin to do this, we as a church aren't living in a manner that's worthy. This falls to all of us. And, and, and hear me, if you're not a member of this church, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, especially if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, this call doesn't belong to you yet. The call to faith belongs to you. Believe in Him. And let Him begin to do that work in you. But if you're a Christian here today and you're not a member of a church somewhere, I would encourage you to think about plugging in with us. God's given us a great mission to do. If you're not going to plug in with us, you need to plug in with somebody. Because you have a vital gift of God that needs to be used in His kingdom for our good and for His glory. And if you're a member here, you need to know that this is what the elders are, are moving towards. We're not going to be jerks about it. But we're going to call you to share the grace that God's given you with the people that He's placed you among. We each have, we've each been given this grace to serve. Let's do it together for, for, for Jesus' fame. Let's pray. Father, we obviously don't deserve any gift of grace, our salvation, the blessings that you, the, the, the spiritual blessings that you tell us. You've given us every one. But I think often how unworthy I am to be, a, be blessed by being a part of your work in this world. Why, why would you want to use me? But I thank you for it. I thank you, Father, that, that I and, and many others in this room have found their, their, their ways to serve and to bless others with the grace you've given them. I thank You, Father, that You're doing a great work among us. But I plead with You, Father, that we would never come to a place where we're trying to do it in our own strength or our own power, that we would be remembering the grace that came to us in Jesus Christ. That we might work with eternal and infinite power to see Your name made famous. That we might see many people's lives changed for Your glory and for their good, that we might see people repenting of sin and trusting in Jesus, that we might see people coming and surrendering completely and wholly to, to Your work, that they might go overseas, that they might go into cities around us, that we might send church planters to, to start new works in, in the region around us, that, that, that Father, that people who are broken and, and, and in need of someone to just love them, would be would find a place here where someone would love them like you love them and that they could sense it tangibly and 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 and, and in a real uh, uh physical sense knowing that that this that this goes farther and, and has much further reaching god would you do that work among us would you challenge us god Would you challenge us to look at our lives and repent of the things that keep us from being these people, from living in this life worthy of the call? 
We've got plenty of distractions. God, would you help us just set them aside? To all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.